on my website at joecats.com, J-O-E-C-A-T-S.com. Pete Callender joins us from the western part of North Carolina this morning at Western NC. And uh, we can have a debate about, uh, well, the different types of uh, barbecue that he and I may enjoy. In fact, uh, I, I'm making a call to action for those who live here on the coast uh, right near the North Carolina, South Carolina state line, Highway 57, right by Indigo Farms. Uh, there is a new barbecue joint, and I pass by it almost religiously on my way down to South Carolina on weekends. And I have yet to enjoy you know, a meal there. And I'm thinking this Friday I'll be headed down that way to the ballpark, and I may have to stop in because uh, there's a guy dressed in a pig uh, costume uh, waving me in. And I have yet to you know, uh, well, be attracted to the man, the tattooed-wearing man with uh, a pig costume on. Yet uh, I have a feeling that that might be Friday's lunch. Pete, I mean, you know, we're talking barbecue here this morning. Maybe we should bring in uh, the former Democrat uh, candidate for U.S. Senate from uh, the November election. <laughs> well, yeah, he, if uh, the photo evidence is any proof, then, uh, yeah, he does know his barbecue, Cal Cunningham. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've often wondered why putting a pig in a, or putting a person in a pig costume out front is supposed to entice someone to go eat there. Like, why would a pig be telling you to go eat him it just yeah i've never really understood that that marketing pitch but uh there's a lot i don't understand look i and uh, on the barbecue front i'm a vinegar-based barbecue fan yeah well but i'm originally from new york so i don't really like i don't have any allegiance geographical to the barbecue i think though that we can all agree in north carolina that the south carolina barbecue that's not even barbecue that's like some form of baby poo i think that they pass off as barbecue i think we can all agree on that and that's what i'm kind of wondering because i'm at the north carolina south carolina line right there and uh, i'm not sure i want to utilize my you know 10 to 15 dollars i have appropriated for my lunch on friday you know because that's what you know radio hosts have to do you have to really budget tightly oh i was gonna say that's splurging yeah 15 bucks for lunch that is a splurge right there for a radio guy Pete, uh, let me ask you. Well, that's uh, about to say, and speaking of the South Carolina, North Carolina state line, south of the border there on I-95, it, it's where I may begin our migrant caravan if, in fact, we bar travel to and from Florida at some point, as we heard in the weeks past. <laughs> well, the I, I'll say it like this. If last <laughs> night's veto override vote and this political play to keep the schools closed in North Carolina, if this doesn't convince parents with kids that they need to break their dependency on the government system, I'm not sure you're going to get a better example of it. They, the government uh, you know, coaxed people in over the course of a century, basically, to signing up to this model that the government would educate all of the kids. And we've had concerns about, you know, curriculum, and we've talked about that and all. But now you've, you've hooked people onto this service, and now you've pulled the plug on them. And then you are dismissing their uh, their concerns, shall I call them uh, diplomatically, that they've ordered their entire lives around this service, literally bought homes, right, set down roots around this government service. And then you pull the plug on it. And then when the people complain that you've pulled the plug, you essentially say, well, 
we need to stay safe and so we're not going to reopen and they make this argument that they cannot possibly be trusted to reopen safely unless they're told explicitly what to do to open safely but they don't want the state telling them to reopen safely because then they lose their control it is a it is a paradoxical self-contradicting argument that they're making here that the governor is making and has been making and nobody seems to realize it it's it's one of the most amazing things it's i call it the big d shield for a reason when you're a democrat you just get to say this stuff and nobody apparently cares. Nobody thinks to ask you, well, wait a minute, you're saying you don't want local districts to lose control. But on the other hand, you're saying that they have to be told explicitly how to reopen safely. Right. I, I don't understand. Do they get the control or do they not get the control? Because the Senate Bill 37 says in Plan A, like you have to offer this in-person option, Plan A. And Plan A, if you go and you read the material, which I have in front of me, Lighting Our Way Forward, North Carolina's guidebook for reopening public schools. And Plan A clearly states that the DHHS requirements include Marking six feet of spacing to remind all of the students and staff to stay six feet apart uh, in times and in places where they may congregate. Mark the six feet of spacing to remind teachers and staff to stay apart at times when they may congregate, like staff meetings and the like. Put markings on the floor of restrooms, limit non-essential visitors and activities, um, and have teachers and staff monitor arrival and dismissal to discourage congregating and ensure students go straight from the vehicle to their classrooms and vice versa. So what do you not trust the teachers to be able to to police this are you are you telling me that the teachers that you say should be trusted to and not just teachers but staff and district office personnel and all these folks that we're supposed to trust them to know how to do all of this safely but they can't possibly be trusted to make sure kids are staying six feet apart unless the general assembly tells them to do so it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous argument. And what I suspect is really going on here is about who gets the credit. The Democrats want the credit for reopening schools. I think that's what they're afraid of is Republicans taking credit for reopening schools. And so if Cooper can just run the four corners defense here, right, or offense, whatever, the run out the clock strategy, you just keep the ball long enough where schools can finally start offering these in-person instruction options, all except apparently Durham uh, public schools, because uh, apparently they can't be trusted to figure this out themselves. Um, so then if you just run the clock out, then you get the teachers, the vaccines, and then you could say, I did it. See, I did it. I get the credit. And that's the only play I can think is going on here. Well, aside from the fact he's trying to protect his power, the executive power. Well, we've been getting mixed messages from the governor uh, from the top of throughout all of COVID, uh, you know, from the king. There's been limited transparency. Of course, he issues this uh, veto on a Friday night uh, after a a week of uh, getting no questions, of course, from uh, the media during his news briefings as to what he was thinking. He was just kind of, as you said, laying it out on both sides. We kind of knew that, you know, this may have been coming. But then, uh, lo and behold, we get three Democrats that cross the party lines and you know, they vote for this Senate bill and then time for the override. One guy just, uh, you know, disappears. You can't find him. (laughs) One guy sticks with his initial vote. And the other guy says, listen, I'm a Democrat. He's a Democrat. He asked me to sustain his veto. So I'm going to do it. 
Uh, I'm not sure. For Senator Lowe, who I actually just did a little brief background check on a little while ago, his history as a lawmaker, mm-hmm. how is this guy still in office? How does he still <laughs> hold office? He should have been canceled years ago if we had the same cancel standards for every lawmaker out there. It's good to be a Democrat. I mean, who takes a cell phone out of the hand of a reporter and chucks it down the hallway because he's pissed about uh, – what went on in the mm-hmm. closed-door meeting between other lawmakers? This is the guy that is standing in the way between your kids' schools uh, from offering an in-person option right now. Right. Well, and he's also, uh, wasn't he one of the lawmakers that was accused by former state senator Erica Smith, who ran for U.S. Senate uh, and lost to the barbecue king, Cal Cunningham, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, didn't she make some uh, uh, some accusations against him as well? Uh, uh, yeah, this this guy... I do like you do have to admire just the the brass, right? You got to admire. He's like, look, I'm a Democrat. The governor's a Democrat. He needed my vote so he could, you know, maintain what limited lame duck power he's got left. And so I did him a solid. Yeah. You know what? Uh, that That's how I roll. Uh, you got to I mean, you have to admire just the brazenness of it more so than, say, Ben Clark, who literally sponsored this bill and then goes a <laughs> wall. So he doesn't have to take the difficult vote. I do give credit, a lot of credit to Senator Kirk DeVere, uh, who uh, was the only Democrat who kept his vote the same and voted to override the veto. Um, now he's, you know, now he's uh, imploring the State Board of Education and the state superintendent uh, to rework their plans or something. Um, but again, the, the clock is running here. And that's what this is all about. It's why Cooper waited until like, you know, the ninth out of 10 days until almost the deadline before he vetoes the legislation. And not a single reporter thinks to ask him in two different briefings, hey, are you going to veto this bill? It's a very simple question. Are you going to veto the bill? And nobody asks him. And by waiting the full nine days, he then pushes, because if the bill had passed, let's say they had overridden his veto, then it would have forced the schools to into a 15-day window where they would have to have uh, developed their plans to reopen safely in that 15 days and then done so after the 15th day. Well, do the math on that, nine days plus the weekend, right, plus the override vote, plus the 15 days, you're at a month. We're, we're now right. talking into April. Like, at some point, the school year ends, folks, and now <laughs> you've got a year and a half of kids that haven't gone to school in some districts. Uh, and so that was the point of slow rolling all of this, and it's all meant to preserve his power. It, he doesn't care about the local control aspect because he's contradicting himself on the local control issue. What it comes down to is his authority as the uh, chief executive, that's what he's trying to protect is the ability to uh, force closures and open schools and close schools and and do all of these things that he's been doing via executive order. But now we're supposed to believe he couldn't possibly issue an executive order to force districts to offer this in-person option. No, no, no. That's that's beyond his authority. He can shut down the entire economy and every business, but he cannot tell school districts to offer an option to open in person. And tomorrow, of course, we'll get the full details as far as from the Department of Public Instruction as, as to just how bad this is uh, yeah. in regards to proficiency rates and test grades. Uh, they'll be unveiling some of the those numbers. We've got a sneak peek uh, on that. In fact, the, the News and Observer, Creo, uh, 
uh, digs into it a little further, and the numbers are, are just uh, tragic, as as expected. Yet uh, here we are. Yeah, uh, catastrophic, Pete, uh, catastrophic. Uh, yeah. This is, I mean, you got kids who aren't reading at grade level in, in by grade three, and what is that? We've been told by education folks that this is the prison to, or the school to prison pipeline. You got kids that can't read at grade level by grade three. You're condemning them to a life of what poverty or prison. So what, what do their lives matter? Like when when you get these uh, the, these uh, uh, NCAE folks that are like, well, you know, he's protecting all the citizens. Is he really? Because come talk to me in 20 years when those kids who didn't get an education are now either in prison or they can't earn a living. And so now they become essentially wards of the state. And maybe that's the play here. Put as many people onto the government uh, dole as possible. So you build in a permanent constituency. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything, but that does seem to be one of the long term implications. Well, and at the end of the day here, you know, Pete, with all of this mess of a situation playing out, isn't now the time? We're not going to get an ever, a time like this ever again, at least as, you know, as far as I could see, that we can challenge this system, this outdated, antiquated, government-run school system and make some real changes. You know, we may have to sacrifice you know, some kids to do that, you know, but – is it now the time to replace this messed up system that we see, you know, <laughs> ruining the future of many, many millions of kids, not just here in North Carolina, but all over the country? Yeah. Well, it's one of the uh, it's one of the things that has so angered me during this entire debate is that I've become the person telling the government schools to reopen. And I hate people for putting me into that position because I, I think the K-12 model needs to be destroyed. Um, I think the money needs to follow the kids. I think if we had been further down the path of school choice, I think COVID would not have had the impact that it has had uh, on uh, on kids' education because there would have been way more choices for parents and kids to have uh, availed themselves of, you know. Um, but if this isn't, like I said, if this isn't a wake-up call for parents and lawmakers that you need to break this cycle of dependency. I've been saying this for 20 years. They don't listen to me, although we have made strides in North Carolina. Republicans have made strides. But if this doesn't convince lawmakers to put their pedal or put their uh, foot down on the gas and and, uh, floor this thing to try to get as much choice as possible, I don't know what other example uh, you're going to get the the yeah I mean there are so many parents and you know what's going to happen is that as soon as the schools start opening because it's already yep. happening they're going to send their kids right back and they're going to think well you know to. what that's fine I just fed the alligator it'll eat me last that's the idea here and you're just hoping that what they're not going to shut them down again All that right. they won't do this to you again of course they would Pete Callender with us, uh, host of the Pete Callender Show and podcast. Uh, it airs uh, daily on his website. And a uh, great dude at the PeteCallenderShow.com from Western North Carolina. Uh, Pete, uh, you know, this past weekend, of course, you had CPAC uh, down in Florida. President Trump uh, made his first uh, public appearance. So just quickly, because, you know, the narrative is, is that the GOP is divided that uh, you know they they're never going to gain back uh, the the principled way of life that, that we once knew the GOP that's uh, you know what is being spun in the media my whole thing in following you know the GOP for you know 25 30 years is that uh, well the GOP is doing what the GOP does uh, they're always <laughs> divided i mean when hasn't the GOP been divided as far as with the establishment portion of uh, the political party and then the outsiders that always feel a little disenfranchised, that true conservatives never you know, uphold some of the policies and some of the promises that they push to get elected, 
And uh, this is the same as it ever was, as far as I'm concerned. It's the longest-running civil war in world history, I think, right? Um, you've got this civil war, because remember, civil wars only occur inside the gen- uh, the GOP. The civil war does never, it never occurs in the Democratic Party, okay? They just have disagreements. Um, the, but this divide, I think you're right, and this is, uh, this was the Reagan coalition, right, that he brought together these different groups uh, that had a common uh, sort of foe, which was communism, basically, um, and uh, he, they, they could pick things that each group liked and then unite under that banner. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the problems also with, you know, the Republican Party when it, you know, when, with its ascent was that you end up getting a lot more people involved in the party, which is a good thing, right? You have a lot more people, but that also means then you've got competing interests. So, of course, you're going to have these kinds of disagreements. I, but I do think there's a realignment happening in the political system. And the Democratic Party is looking more and more. Uh, it reminds me of that movie Elysium, right, where you've got the really rich and the really poor. And that's that's their party. And then the Republican Party seems to be kind of getting remade into a working class party. Um Unfortunately, a lot of the leaders in the Republican Party don't seem to be happy with this, <laughs> and so they don't really care for this hoi polloi as their constituency. Um, but uh, I don't know if that like, – I don't think it means that the Republican Party is, quote, the conservative party uh, any longer. Because, look, Trumpism is populism, right? That's There is a – there's a heavy dose of that in Trumpism, and I don't think that you can say that, you know, he's – you know, he lost – his reelection. And so therefore he, you know, he's gone. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, but I do think the Republican party is fractious. Sure. Uh, and they're going to have to kind of figure their way through this. I don't think the answer is carving off one half of your party, whatever half it might be and saying, we don't want you. I don't, well, I mean, that's a sure way to never win another election. And then you give Democrats control and we see what they're doing in DC when they have it, you know, they're going to run as far and as fast as they can. Well, as we see with this uh, COVID, well, the the Democrat wish list bill, they call it COVID relief. And <laughs> I always enjoy jumping on uh, guests and their social medias to see, you know, who's talking what, you know, on your platform, for instance, uh, you had an interesting uh, back and forth with a former uh, oh. a Democratic uh, candidate the other day. I mean, yeah. he, you know, he was all about this COVID relief. I guess he's failed to check in on some of the alternate, uh, you know, news sources <laughs> other than the alphabet networks and uh, cable news. To look at the meat of this bill, what, 90% of it has nothing to do with the direct COVID relief. And, uh, you know, we're talking about billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars of just uh, complete, uh, you know, Democrat wishes uh, as far as what they would like uh, to see our country, you know, move towards. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Some of the, I like my, one of my big ones is the $1,400 a week for the federal workers that yeah. don't have kids in school. Because they have to take care of their kids at fourteen hundred dollars a week. I know the Northern Virginia suburbs of Washington D.C. are pretty expensive, but fourteen hundred dollars a week, man, that's good if you can get it. Right. Meanwhile, all of us uh, riffraff will get the fourteen hundred dollars for the entire pandemic, right? Like that's our <laughs> that's our check for the whole pandemic. And if we can't send our kids to school, we don't have those daycare options. Well, sorry, you should have been a member of the party. I'm sorry. The government, the federal government. Um, yeah. So the person you're talking about is Scott Huffman. He ran for uh, what was it? Congressional District 13, I believe. And uh, just talking with him over Twitter was uh, I, at one point I said, I feel like I'm playing left wing uh, BS bingo. 
with this guy because it's just a matter. It's like he, he just throws these words out. And it's like, oh, there, you know, there's the term, you know, the the one percent and, you know, tax the rich. Like he's got these cliches that it, it, and he just throws them in as he's kind of meandering through his argument. And uh, he claims to have read the entire bill, which was amazing because he couldn't find a single piece of pork in the entire bill while claiming to have read the entire thing. And so I helpfully gave him a link to a whole bunch of it by a government watchdog group. And he then dismisses it because it got published at Forbes. <laughs> and so uh, when presented with the evidence, uh, he pulls the uh, the the ripcord there and parachutes away. So he's out of that conversation pretty quickly. It is. Uh, it, it, this is one of the things I've always believed this, that you got to walk towards the fight. If we are in this arena, you got to walk towards the fight. And sometimes that means, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of trolling on social media to former congressional candidates uh, who, you know, are used to just tweeting out something and getting all of the praise from their fans and they never get pushback from this uh, on this stuff and it was clear to me that the guy uh that the guy has not engaged in many rhetorical battles with uh, uh w- with people not of a like mind so uh he was he, at one point i felt like i was kind of mugging a dead guy <laughs> the pete calendar show a daily podcast uh, covering local state national news uh, from a western north carolina perspective uh, the pete calendar show.com uh pete you know on that covid bill you know that went through the house so what was it 219 to 212 or whatever it was but you had like two or three democrats that voted against it so can you call that as bipartisan That's opposition right. to the bill i would and if it was three republicans joining all the democrats it would well, be called you know bipartisan it. <laughs> So, yeah, that's uh, that's one of the journalisming rules, I believe, is that uh, any number of Democrats that join the Republicans, I think it has to be like two thirds or three fifths or something have to join the Republicans in order for it to get that designation. But if it's a Democrat bill with all Democrats, a single Republican is enough to win that that moniker. It is good to be a Democrat. Pete, it's always a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it, man. All right, we're hitting the bottom of the hour. Great to have Pete Callender on with us uh, almost on a weekly basis now. Uh, enjoy his perspective and insight. Uh, com. Check out his uh, latest podcast uh, over on his website as we hit the bottom of the hour. 910 299